Because we're the Jelly Marketing Podcast, what do you like to spread on your toast? Oh, jeez. So, okay, <laughs> coming from a guy, don't hate me, I'm just being vulnerable. Coming from a guy who's gluten-free, I have to wait for very special toast. And when I do, I'd have to say my first pick is, is honey. Here we go. It's the Jelly Marketing Podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us for episode number eight of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Rod Jans. On the Jelly Marketing Podcast, we ask global industry leaders from world-class brands to share their best practices, stories, innovations, and more to help you move your agency, business, or organization ahead. Our topic for today is how to tell engaging stories. In this episode, we discuss what it was like for our guest to see his work come to life on the big screen the elements of a great story, and the power of being authentic with your audience. Our guest, Matthew Lunn, is an accomplished storyteller, instructor, story consultant, and keynote speaker with over 20 years experience creating stories and characters at Pixar Animation Studios. Along with working at Pixar, Matthew's been training CEOs, directors, and other professionals how to craft and tell their stories for Fortune 500 companies, award-winning movies, and corporate brands grossing billions of dollars worldwide. Stay tuned to the end of the interview where we find out more about what Matthew likes to spread on his toast. Episode number eight, are you hooked yet? Here we go. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for joining me on the Jelly Marketing Podcast. My pleasure. It's good to be here, Rod. Matthew is the story consultant, writer, and Pixar story guy for the last 20 years. He's been doing that for the last 20 years. And talk about a cool thing to be doing. I'm sure some people are <laughs> highly interested in what we're talking about just because of, the, of the, the Pixar brand and all of the really neat stories that, that Pixar has come up with. What, what are some of the movies and things that you've worked on? So uh, I have, yes, spent over 20 years there. I've actually spent half my life there, I've, I figured out. And I started working there as an animator on Toy Story. I was working before Toy Story had been released. And uh, after that, I end up working as a storyboard artist, doing writing, creating characters on Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3, Monsters University and Monsters, Inc., uh, Cars, Ratatouille, Up, Finding Nemo, I've worked on Toy Story 4, which will come out in a little bit, and also um, worked as a story supervisor, uh, helping the director create the stories for uh, the only two TV specials that uh, Pixar's created, which is uh, Toy Story of Terror and Toy Story Time for God. And then I worked on a whole slew of shorts, about 10 of them, at Pixar, all the Mater's Tall Tales, uh, some Toy Story ones, and some of the other Pixar shorts. So it's been it's been pretty awesome. <laughs> are you primarily doing story writing these days, or did you are you still doing some animating? No, you know I think uh, unless I am going to animate on one of my own uh, projects, uh, I'm I'm not going to be working as a uh, a freelance or full time animator anymore. So. What I'm what I'm doing primarily now is uh, writing for uh, film, TV, 
pitching my own series, uh, my own film ideas, along with doing uh, story consulting and story seminars and lectures for for not just film film companies, but for uh, businesses like like Adidas and you can pretty much just you know google facebook all those kind of companies describe that transition it sounds like there was a bit of transition there where you were animating and then you started pretty quickly got into story writing yeah what what happened there well you know going even farther back uh, before i was working at pixar i was working on the simpsons as an animator i worked there for a year uh on the third season uh, for The Simpsons, and then afterwards animated on Toy Story. But while working at The Simpsons and working on Toy Story, I kept gravitating towards the story departments, the writer room, the, the writer's rooms, and really knowing in my heart that that's what I wanted to do, but I lacked the confidence and the experience to be a writer. So I kind of pushed it to the side thinking, you know, that's what smart people do. <laughs> I'm an artist. I I wasn't trained to be a writer. But I kept going back and asking questions, which led to getting little assignments at Pixar to do with story, which ended up leading to me uh, doing a little bit of everything when it comes to story, including visual storytelling to writing and developing. So it is possible. <laughs> so you, wants to be a writer it's it is possible just be a squeaky oil and a squeaky wheel just keep asking and hope you get oiled sooner or later is that kind of what happened you just kept going back and eventually they said oh come on matthew just let's, just just write something <laughs> yeah so you know i i would finish all my work i would i would animate all my shots and then when i was done <clears throat> i would i would say hey i got some free time does anybody need any help developing any gags or does anybody need any help uh, storyboarding or developing any ideas or writing? I can, I'm here. So was that eager little guy. And I I think I still am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm still trying to grow and learn and, you know, and just, and it's just a passion. Story is a passion of mine. I really, I, it's, I can't get enough of it. So, well, and you were in such a great place. I'm assuming, like you're working with these really talented storytellers, yeah. and what what an opportunity! If you have a, if you have an inkling that you have that passion, uh, what what a place to have it, <laughs> and what a group of people to be able to work around. Yeah, you know the the guy at Pixar that was the. I, you know, we would we would call him the head of story at Pixar was Joe Ramp, and he storyboarded on Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid, Brave Little Toaster, and Nightmare Before Christmas, and he was brought on in the very beginning of Toy Story as the one who basically taught all of us storyboard artists about visual storytelling, writing, developing, story structure. And um, he was my mentor all the way up to uh, when he passed away. Um, I think it was maybe 10 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. But he was my 
my mentor. He was the guy that would give me assignments, books. He would challenge me. He'd push me. You know, everybody needs somebody like that when you're uh, following a, a passion of yours, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. I I have a personal interest in this. I'm not sure if I should share it, but I will. We we uh, back in the 90s we started a kids website. My dad and my sister and I, and we called it Kids App. And we worked with um, I wish I could remember his name now, but he had worked on some older cartoons. Like uh, he'd worked on Scooby Doo and all of that kind of stuff. So we we wanted to create some characters on this website. So we consulted with him. And it was great. I mean, he gave, he helped. First of all, we were thinking of using human characters and he encouraged us to use animals because <laughs> that would be much more to be more helpful to, uh, to find representative animals to, to the people that we were speaking to, I guess. And, uh, and then he helped us give each of them personality. So we had this whole personality group. And from there, once he established that foundation, um, I was able to sort of tell the stories and do some further, um, yeah. animations and stuff like that. So I, I came into that with hardly any experience. It was so much, it was so much fun. It was just a great experience working with, with him who obviously had some of the same talents yeah. and abilities that you have. Yeah. You know what? I later on after the interview, we'll have to try to guess who he was because I, <laughs> I, it's a small industry. So I probably know him. Yeah. I'll try and, yeah. uh, I, I got to try and pay attention to what we're doing here, but I'll see if I can find him yeah, on uh, sure. <laughs> on LinkedIn while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm wondering how did it feel? I know it felt great for me when when we would put some of these animations together and and they would finally come out. How did it feel? To, what, what did you say was the first story yeah. that you actually wrote for? How did it feel to actually see that uh, up I'll, on the screen? Yeah, I'll tell you. I think the first moment, which was the oh my goodness something i did is being watched by lots of people right now was when the very first episode of uh, that i animated on for the simpsons oh, that nice. was the first i was i was believe it or not i was 20 years old and it was like oh what has what is happening here yeah. and but i i think for the writing story creation part i think Probably the first one was the Army Men and Toy Story. That was that was the first time I you know I animated those characters, but I really had a lot to do with uh, how those characters came to life. Um, I had taken while I was working at Pixar on Toy Story uh, to be able to make the movement of the characters we animate realistic. We usually film ourselves. Uh, and so what I did was I took a board that was kind of like the, the same dimensions of a, of a snowboard and I screwed my, uh, basketball shoes on them with actual screws with a screw gun. <laughs> and so then I could put my feet in the shoes. They'd be attached to the wood and I couldn't just walk. I'd have to hop or I'd have to crawl just like an army man, a plastic army man with a, with that plastic stand attached to their feet would do. Yeah, exactly. Their feet are attached to like a skateboard kind of, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. So the development I did for those characters, that was that was another moment for me. But when it comes to writing or creating a character, I had a lot to do with the conceiving the whole Woody's Roundup uh, world and story in Toy Story 2, like what was what was the show about? 
And and with the characters that were on that show, like Jesse Prospector and the Bull and Bullseye, that those were probably my first characters I I really had a part of developing. And at one time, we actually did not have Jesse. It wasn't a cowgirl. It was actually a cactus. It was a a girl cactus called Senorita Cactus. <laughs> there was no horse. Uh, it was a a jackrabbit. We always had the prospector as the goofy gold miner, but that's that's part of story is is writing and rewriting and developing and redeveloping. Yeah, I, I suppose you had to have a love interest. I mean, you had to. Have, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's true. You know, uh, and you know the fun thing, which is in the Toy Story films, is that you know Jesse and Buzz are kind of the love interest a cowgirl and a spaceman. It's a nice opposites attract. Yeah, you know, we we really based the characters from Woody's Roundup on the uh the show. Oh my goodness, now am I gonna forget it? It's the one with gosh, is it uh is it Roy Rod? Oh gosh. Will Rod oh I can't remember his name now. He's the famous cowboy. Yeah, Will Rogers or Roy Rogers, the singing the singing cowboy, right? Who used to yeah. sing to the horse kind of thing. Yeah, and and yeah. on his show, his TV show, there's a cowgirl, and and then there's uh, Gabby Hayes, who is the prospector. Oh, we ended up looking to that and saying, okay, that's that's kind of a classic 1950s cowboy show. Let's stick to that. Yeah, cool. So that was that was sort of your inspiration for for those characters. Yeah, and and then also I looked at a lot of Howdy Doody. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of these. Um, uh, old 1950s type shows um, that were were popular. Yeah, it was uh, it was cool. Yeah, fun stuff. So if we can transition here a little bit, the the Jelly Marketing Podcast is about marketing, and story is so much a, a an important element of what of what we do. You know, like my my work at Mission Possible, I um I, I do the communications and development there, and I'm always thinking about trying to tell our story. You know, that's what I try to do in our social media. I'm just wondering if you could share with our listeners, you know, what you think are the elements of a, of a really good story and, and how do you come up with it? You know, I, I teach a lot of classes on this and, and I do this for my actual job as well, writing. And so from my experience, the first thing you need in a great story, whether it is a film, TV show, or a business is you need a great hook. You know, mm. in a film that is 90 minutes long, if you can't hook the audience in the first 10 minutes, they're going to, sh- they're going to, they're going to lose interest or they're just going, if they're at home, they're just going to turn it off. You have to get people's attention quickly in the beginning with a hook. And the hook can be anything like, you know, a rat who wants to be uh, a chef. Or it could be about a company that wants to create the first, uh, you know, non-fossil fuel electric car. There has to be a hook. If you cannot, and if you cannot hook your audience quickly, they're going to lose interest. Yeah. So that's the, the number one thing. And then once you get people's attention with a hook, you want to be able to dive into how the character in the film or a story has the potential to change, or if it's a business, how the audience is going to be changed 
through this hook. How is this new car or this new product going to change my life? Or how is the character in the film going to change? And in turn, when you see a character change in a story and it's done well, uh, we experience that change with them and, and we go through that experience uh, with them. And then the other things that I, I think about whenever I'm beginning a story is I always want to know who my audience is. Who am I trying to connect to? So I always make sure that the story I'm telling, I know who my audience is. I, I know what I want to make them feel and what, what they're going to take away from this. So I always do my research on who the audience is. And then the last two things I think about uh, for making a great story is making sure whether it's a four-minute story or a 90-minute story that there is a beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> that there's, uh, And it's so simple, but people uh, – and, and it's just like it's in our DNA, but people uh, still uh, have a way of messing that up. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. But, but having a setup, a build, and a payoff, whether it's you doing a talk, you know, to, uh, you know, at, at some board meeting, or you're talking to um, some investors, or you're coming up with the story of your company, you want to be able to describe that in a beginning, middle, and end. Then the final thing that I feel is, is, actually probably the most important element is make sure that your story is authentic. You want to make sure that it's something that is personal to you, something that you're passionate about. And, you know, that's why from my experience, whenever I've worked on a film that's been a, a success, it's because the director who was making the film, it was a, a subject matter that was important to them. And whenever I'm writing a story or I'm writing a, you know, working on a project with a company, I always want to find out what is it that is personal and that you're passionate about this, this story. So keeping it authentic is really what moves people in the end. It's really moves their heart. And, you know, when it comes to a business wanting to keep um, a story authentic, I think the key element is not to just think about that you're creating a story for your business, but you really want to think about it as, a, as it, it is. It's a personal story as well because – it's something you're personally passionate about. It's not just your business. It's something that you're passionate about that you think the world needs and will, like Steve Jobs said, put a dent in the universe. Yeah. So those, those, those are the elements that I, I look at and try to encourage people to put into a great story. I don't know why, but as soon as you said great hook, Elon Musk came to mind of the, yeah. the founder of Tesla. It's yeah. like he has this compelling story that we're all following along with. You know, there's the, there's a villain in the story that, you know, can, or there's this like controversy and, uh, yeah. he's, he's fighting this uphill battle and, you know, we have the environment. There's so many elements of that that make for a, a great story and we're all just following along, you know, like it, it it's, it's you know, quite compelling. 
It is. You know, I, when Steve Jobs was starting off in the beginning with Apple, you know, he was very smart at creating a story around their company. Mm-hmm. And with any great story, you need to have a an opposing force. You can call it a villain. Right. You could call it, uh, you know, other people with opposing values. But when he made that 1984 commercial um, with, you know, the girl running with the the jazzercise outfit and the big, you know, hammer and <laughs> smashing it into the face of Big Brother, or I think he was trying to say IBM at the time. So there is uh, companies are smart when they 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 know that their audience or you know their their potential clients are going to have empathy for them if they come off looking like the underdog right because look at all those pixar films they almost always well about half of them start off where the main character is a kid first and they're kind of the underdog and you have empathy for them and when you have a, um, a leader at a company wanting to do something that's never been done before and the rest of the world is saying, you're crazy, you know, you're not going to be able to build some sort of super trained tube that goes from San Francisco to Los Angeles. It's not going to happen, you know, <laughs> right? Or you're not going to be able to, you know, build a spaceship that can take people, you know, on vacation into space. It's we end up rooting for these people because they're really passionate about their idea. It has a great hook and the rest of the world saying, you can't do it. It's yeah, not- he keeps picking these seemingly impossible things. And, and you're right. We all kind of find ourselves rooting for him a little bit or, 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 or saying that it's impossible. And, you know, you look at Walt Disney and what Walt Disney did mm-hmm. wanting to create Disneyland in one year. Uh, and, yeah. And make it the really the first uh, family themed park in not the world, but definitely in the in North America. And I mean, he hawked his entire mortgage of his house. He put everything up against it. And the newspapers are saying it's going to flop. It's going to bomb. And, you know, I, I, I know for a fact that when people believe and invest and get behind a company it's because the leader of the company and the hook of the company makes them feel a certain way and it makes them want to root for that person and that feeling comes from creating a story I'd, I'd love to break down the elements there that you, you shared about a great story, but just in the interest of time, I, I just want to pick out a couple things. Could you give us an example of, of a great hook? And then I'll ask you another question about one of the, one of the things you said there. Well, you know, when I think of great hooks in film there or in stories, the first, the first thing of a hook is, can you describe your story idea in one sentence. And in, in film, we call that the elevator pitch or the log line. Is that it, something you guys, you have to do on a regular basis when you're, when you're oh, doing the yeah. stories that you've done? Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of, you know, if you cannot describe your idea as simple as possible, you don't know what your idea is about yet. 
And if you were to get into an elevator with a producer with a ton of money that's looking for the next big idea, and you cannot pitch them your idea before they get out of that elevator, that's, you don't know what your story's about. So that controlling idea, that elevator pitch is the hook. And then when you get to that first 10 minutes of your film, when I think of movies that have done it really good, especially Pixar ones, I think of movies like Wally. Wally really pulled you in. You were wondering, what is this robot collecting garbage? The earth is looks like a mess. What is this about? And, you know, there's so many great movies, like the movie Jaws. What a great hook in the very beginning, seeing this woman get eaten by a shark. You want to see the rest. Yeah. And when I think of companies that have great hooks, they're doing the same thing. They're describing their company, what their company is about in one sentence. For example, what if a company wanted to make all of the world's information accessible to everybody for free? That, that would be Google, right? Right. Or what if a company wanted to make healthy, sustainable Mexican food that was not too expensive? That would be Chipotle. So if you can't describe the idea of your company in one sentence and how it's going to change the world, then you actually, you really don't know what your company is about yet. And so that's what I mean by a hook. The other question I had was, and it's such a, it's almost an overused word today, but it, it, it really is important. I was talking to someone the other day who, who put it this way is that, yeah, that authentic, uh, authenticity really, uh, sells these days. It has, it's what people are buying. That's what he said. Authenticity is what people are buying. And that really perked up my ears. It was actually another jelly marketing podcast that we just released on, on Tuesday with, uh, John Malik from Native Ads. Mm. And, uh, yes, just tell us a little bit more about authenticity. What does it mean to you? And can you give us an example? Uh, maybe in an ad or something that you've worked on? So I would say that we have we are so bombarded by information every day. How many images we're exposed to, how much information we're exposed to on social media. And, you know, people are smart. They're savvy now. They know when they're being, they know when they're, being manipulated or uh, tried to be convinced to buy something. And that's why I believe when you're being authentic with your audience, that that really uh, connects with them. And what I mean by being authentic is being vulnerable, being, being vulnerable to be able to um, allow the audience to see your weaknesses you know, I think there was this great ad that was done long time ago, way before I was born. And it was an ad for a, um, a rental car company. And basically they were saying, we know that we're the second, we're, we're, we know that we're not the best rental car company in the world. I think it was Avis. We're number two. Yeah. Basically said, we know we're number two, but you know, just like a fish, that is not the big fish, but the one that has to keep running, swimming away for its life. 
we're going to work harder and and do even more to be able to keep your business to be able to survive. They're being vulnerable, they're being authentic, and you know, uh, that was the worst possible thing they could have done to that number one company. And I think that that's what I think that's what Pixar did in the early days when we were a company uh, starting off. We knew we were not we were not the company that was going to make films with a princess um, or a prince singing their "I Want" song. It, it wasn't going to be a two D animated fairy tale world. We were going to have to just be vulnerable and honest and put that authenticity into our characters. When you look at Woody and you watch those movies, he yes, he's just a toy. He's just com- he's a computer animated image, but he's real. He fears being abandoned. He fears not being loved. He fears somebody one of the other toys yelling out fraud and him being told you're not the best toy. You're not even, you're not even, you're not even wanted here anymore. And it's real. And it strikes a chord in us as an audience when you're being vulnerable and authentic. Well, I could talk to you forever about this, but we should probably begin to wrap things up. And just to wrap things up, we have a few final quick questions. It's kind of the jelly marketing version of the, of the lightning round. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> the first question is because we're the jelly marketing podcast, what do you like to spread on your toast? Oh, geez. So, okay. <laughs> coming from a guy, don't hate me. I'm just being vulnerable. Uh, <laughs> coming from a guy who's gluten free. I have to wait for very special toast. And when I do, I'd have to say my first pick is, is honey. Nice. I, I love honey on bread. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> Great. You're our first person to pick honey. So that's uh, awesome. And uh, honey has other health benefits. You know, it's supposed that, to, that's true. You know, it's supposed to be full of vitamin B and all that kind of stuff and not right. necessarily full of sugar. It has natural sugar. So that's, that's, right. I support your choice. I, I support bees and honey. <laughs> Awesome. And uh, it must get a little bit stressful sometimes when you're working on deadlines and trying to get these yeah. stories done. And uh, mm-hmm. what do you do to handle stress? Well, you know, I mean, yes, it's true. Nothing inspires artists and creative people more than deadlines. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I'm, I'm all up for healthy deadlines. But what I do is I, I love riding my bike. I, I love spending time with my kids and, and, uh, yeah. So I think those are my picks, riding a bike, hanging out with my kids and even better riding bikes with my kids. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Do you have a road bike or hybrid or mountain bike? What's, what sort um, of bike do you ride? Well, so I'm, I'm near the San Francisco Bay area. So what we like to do is we like to get our bikes and we ride them along the coast, along the ocean line. Right on. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Sounds awesome. Are you an iPhone person or an Android person? You know, I'm an iPhone person for now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That is, that is, um, the jury's still out on that one right now. You're, so thinking, you're thinking about a change? I th- am thinking about a change. <laughs> I, I heard that the, uh, you know, the camera is better 
on some of these other phones. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you have a favorite app on your iPhone? You know, I think I'm probably, I probably use Pandora too much because <laughs> I, I look at my bill later on at the end of the month. And uh, I was using Snapchat for a while, uh, but that gets to be very addictive. So I would say Pandora. <laughs> Excellent. And do you have a favorite life or business hack to share? Some sort of shortcut loophole or something that makes your life easier that you could share oh. with our listeners? Jeez. Okay, so I would have to say uh, I have always been the guy who lives by the motto, plan your work and work your plan. Mm. So I am, I, I make a list of the to-dos, my to-do list, and I check them off at the end of the day. I'm, I'm, believe it or not, I'm that guy that makes sure that I, all my emails have been checked. I've, I've responded to people. I, I don't have, I don't have a bunch of emails just sitting there waiting for me. I'm pretty good about making the plan and, uh, making my plan and working it. So. Excellent. Yep. And, uh, I know it's hard to pick one, but do you have a cause that's near and dear for near and dear to your heart? You know, I would say I have many causes, but the ones that I am actively involved with now are ones that have to do with the ocean. Um, ones that, you know, trying to get rid of the stuff we're putting in the ocean from plastic to all types of stuff. So I feel that with everything that we argue about in this world, of all of our different opinions, the one thing we all share is we're all going to have we're all living here. We need this planet to be operating and being healthy for, for us to, to be able to survive. Mm -hmm. So the big one for me is, is the water. And how can people reach out to you? So I do have a website. It's uh, MatthewLundStory.com. And, and pretty much that leads you to everything from my emails on there. My, uh, my, Twitter posts show up there. Um, who I am is on there. So yeah. So, uh, Lunstory.com. Well, we'll put that in the show notes okay. along with some other selected links and people can find okay. that on, uh, jellymarketing.com forward slash blog and then look under the blog tab for a podcast and they'll find our show notes there. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, before we go, uh, it was Jeff Holder was the person that we worked with. I don't know if that name rings a bell or not, but he worked on uh, Johnny Quest. I don't know if you remember that cartoon or uh, Veggie Tales, which which was like a Christian animation type of thing. And, and he worked on Scooby-Doo. Okay, that's the name. Hey, thanks. This has been awesome. And I always love sharing my experience and my passion for stories. So thanks for having me on. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I could have talked to you for a lot longer. I just, it's, it's been great uh, speaking with you today. Well, thanks again to Matthew Lunn for joining us on episode number eight of the Jelly Marketing Podcast. By the way, Matthew will be joining us next year at the Canadian Internet Marketing Conference. If you'd like to check out some of the links and show notes from this episode, go to the Jelly Marketing Podcast page at jellymarketing.com and you'll find them under the blog tab of the website. Also, be sure and check us out on iTunes and leave a comment and a rating. We'd love to hear from you, and the more people that give us a rating, the more people we can reach. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You can fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can avoid the 
For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.